morning, everyone. You know, I really appreciate the talent that we have here in Charlotte. I was surprised last Sabbath at Mr. Ames. During his sermon, he had special music. If you recall, it was, Who Will Go With Me to the Promised Land? So about 50 of them left today, I guess, to the Promised Land. <laughs> but I was ready to go. I was hoping he'd get up a load to go, but I was ready. And I know all of us are as well. Let me just ask you that question. If we had to go to the promised land today, would you be ready? Would you go? What would you do? Now, sometimes we take that for granted. We think we'll know what we will do. And we just take things like that for granted, but we have to be prepared. You know, the children of Israel headed for the promised land. They had the knowledge, but they didn't make it. They couldn't leave Egypt behind. They couldn't leave Pharaoh behind. They could not accept a true God. They couldn't accept a God where you had to leave the world or Egypt to keep his feast. You cannot keep it in Egypt. And God said that to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may keep a feast unto me. So we're here this morning celebrating the feast of God that God has given to us. And this feast means more to us, brethren, than just eating unleavened bread. Doing without leavened bread, it has to mean more to us than that. We have to think about deeply why God has called us to this feast. What does he expect of us? Now, yes, uh, Sunday, they had millions of people observing what they would call Easter Sunday. Dressed up in their Easter dress, Easter bonnet, Easter shoes, all of those things. But when you keep God's feast, you don't think about rabbits laying eggs, do you? You don't think about that at all. You don't, a fat man coming down the chimney, goblins. You learn nothing from that experience. Absolutely nothing. And God has given us His feast that we may learn that He is God, that we do have to come out of the world to keep His feast, that we can't keep His feast in the world, that we have to come out of the world because He's our God, and I know all of us understand that as well. So God has given us His feast to remind us that we have to come out, that we have to search our hearts and minds for hidden things that we are not aware of. We have to search ourselves constantly, as God tells us to in the Scriptures, and we understand that. So when God sent Moses to Pharaoh with this message, you find that in Exodus chapter 5, with this message, God had revealed to Moses what he was going to do, what, what he was going to do to Egypt, what he was going to do as a reveal knowledge. You know, brethren, we don't understand spiritual knowledge unless God reveals that to us. It has to be revealed, then it takes faith on our part to put that knowledge into practice. And we have to put it into practice until we see the end result of it. Just like the promised land. We are promised the kingdom of God. It, it takes faith. The knowledge has been revealed to us by God. It takes faith on our part then to do our part. Until the end, until our faith is, comes to fruition. So Moses here delivered this message to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was a powerful person in Egypt. Egypt was a powerful nation. But God was going to show Egypt the wages of sin is death. And that's what he was going to do to Egypt. Destroy them. Not every man and woman there, but destroy them. The wages of sin is death. And that's why this feast pictures. The wages of sin is death. Unless a person overcomes sin, gets sin of his, out of his life, then that individual has to pay the price, which is dead, death. In Exodus chapter 5, verse 1, After Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the eternal God of Israel, not of the Egyptians, but of Israel. God of Israel. This is what God says. Let my people go, 
that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is this Lord? Who is he? Little did he know that he was about to fall, find out who God was. He was about to fall into the hands of the living God. And when God got through with Pharaoh and his Egyptians, then they knew that God is God. There's no power greater than God. There's no nation greater than God's church. No nation. Why? We belong to God. We are His. We're not the United States of America. We don't belong to the President of the United States or Congress. We belong to God. He's our God. We keep His feast. We come out of the world to keep His feast. His Passover. That we may know that He is our God. So is it, who is this God that I should obey His voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Eternal, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the eternal our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. Of course, we know then the story, the story at that time. But when God got through with Pharaoh on this day, the 25th, 21st of Abib, this day, Egypt was no more. Egypt had lost a third of its population. Egypt has lost his army. They had no defense. Pharaoh's host drowned in the sea. They had no army. They lost most of the wealth. Death and destruction was all over Egypt, all over the place. There was death and destruction when God got through with them, when he realized that he was going to show Pharaoh that he is God, and the Egyptians are absolutely nothing in his sight. And we know when God does come down to deliver people, it's death and destruction. We saw that in Noah's day. We read about that. Solomon and Gomorrah's death and destruction. And when Jesus comes back, it's death and destruction. Everywhere. People are going to fight Christ. It'll be death and destruction. Then our minds can't even begin to comprehend what it was like in Egypt at that time. Nor can our minds comprehend what lies ahead. However, God has revealed that knowledge to us. We understand it. We have to have the faith then to put that into practice. And remember, God is God. And there's no one else. And we keep his feast days. And God reveals himself to us as well. So as we mentioned yesterday, millions of people attended church services, had no idea where they're going. Probably thought they were on the way to heaven. God had not revealed anything to them yet. It's not their time yet. They are not called out of the world to keep God's feast yet. They're keeping the world's feast. They're not called out to keep God's feast. God has called you and me out to keep his feast. He's called us out to understand his feast. The significance of his feast. Not just eating the unleavened bread. Not just keeping the leaven out of the house. That's a physical thing in one way. But why does God command us to keep his feast? How do we keep it? Now we come to the end of it. But how do we keep it? The feast of God and understand what God requires of us. So this seventh day is the final day of unleavened bread. It's a holy day. It's a day of rest. It's a second step in God's great plan for salvation for mankind. Seven means completeness. On this day, Israel had completely come out of Egypt. They were out of Egypt, out of that land, out of Mother Pharaoh's rule, completely out. They were all baptized in the Red Sea, all went through together. They all saw the miracles together. They saw what God did to Egypt together. And yet, they didn't make it. That generation did not make it. Why? They did not believe God. You would think they would have believed the miracles. You would have thought 
when you walk through the Red Sea on dry land and the walls of water, that just didn't happen. How could they forget that so quickly? How could they? Did they really understand the feast? Did they really keep it the way God wanted them to? Did they understand it? You would have thought, well, surely when you saw the miracles, locusts and all the lice and all of those things, it had to be a God. It had to be the God of Israel. It had to be the God of our fathers who's come down to deliver us out of the hands of the Egyptians because we belong to God and to no one else. And brethren, that's what we have to realize If you've been purchased by the blood of Christ and you came through Passover, you know you have to fill in the deeds of Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread. You know you've got to do something. Just not going through the emotion, but something you have to do and something I have to do in order to please God. We belong to God. So we are doers of whatever God wants us to do. And God then blesses us for that. So their enemies, Israel's enemies, were a type of sin, were drowned in the sea. Just like when we were baptized, really and truly repented and baptized, our sins were left in the tub, forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, covered by His. And we symbolically died in that baptismal tank. Which means if we died, then our life belongs to God. And He is God. He is our God. If He has purchased our lives, He paid the penalty for it. And then after we come up out of the baptismal tank, we have something we have to do. You know, there's something we have to do. And sometimes it's spiritual that we don't understand, that we grow in in that area of life. So Yahweh was the rock of their salvation, Old Testament Israel, which Jesus Christ is our Savior. Yahweh followed them, but Christ lives in us. He lives in us. That's why we're alive. He lives in us. We feel alive. We are alive. And we rejoice in the knowledge that God has given to us and revealed to us. And we accept it by faith. That we have the faith to put it into practice. As we put that knowledge into practice, we tend to grow more in faith. Realizing of ourselves we can do nothing, but we need God's help. Like this feast pictures to me that I need God's help. There's no way to go through it without His help. There's no way I can get rid of sin without His help. There's no way I can search my own mind for sin or habits without God's help. I have habits I can't even see. But I eat the bread. I might be angry. Or I may hate somebody. But I eat the bread. See, I eat the bread. Habits that we have to search and get rid of by the help of God, by His help. And as you've been hearing lately of the sermons, I think been preparing us for something yet ahead of us. That we have to be ready and prepared for that. That we have to be moments notice. That we have searched ourselves, not somebody else, myself, to get rid of the leaven, get rid of the sin out of my life. Deep-rooted sins. I know since I've been in ministry, and uh, Mr. Ames can probably tell you the same thing, that people have certain deep-rooted sins they just cannot see. You try to help them to see it, and they get mad at you. They don't want to, they don't want to admit it. And so you try to help somebody see a problem, and they get mad at you. And that's what we have to be careful about, brethren. We can't get mad when God shows us certain things about us if we desire it. We have to want to change, as we heard in the song. Create in me a clean heart. 
We have to ask God for that. Why do you need a clean heart? Because you understand your own heart. That's deceitful. That we're deceitful at times. We want to be exalted at times. We want to be honored and loved at times, you see. And we then understand that God is the one who has to help us through these or through these times. Let's turn to Psalms 95. <clears throat> Psalms 95. Psalms 95, beginning with verse 1. O come, let us sing to the eternal. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. And that's what impressed me last Sabbath, Mr. Ames. Hope he doesn't. O come, say, who will go with me to the promised land? This kind of broke the ice where we could rejoice and relax and thank God that we are on our way to the promised land. And we will reach that promised land to just relax and and rejoice before God. Let us shout joyful to the rock of our salvation. He was their rock. Then verse 2, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyful to him with songs. For the eternal is the great God and the great king above all gods. Sure, we can shout that. We can praise that. That we serve a God above all gods. The true God. The God of heaven and earth. The God has brought into existence everything. That we can shout that. That we lift up our voices. And be happy that we know this true God, the God of all power, that our minds can't even begin to describe how great he is and what he looks like, what eternity is, brilliance. He's a light out there in eternity. He doesn't need the sun or the moon. He is the light. So he's the God The more we know, the more we like to talk about him, the more we like to praise him. The less we talk about self, the more we talk about him and what is God doing through us as he opens the way for his word to go forward, as God brings in new people to church, that we can be thankful for that. See, people change, begin to change through the power of God's Holy Spirit. For the Lord is a great God and the great King above all gods. In his hands are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Everything you see belongs to God. The sea belongs to God. Everything you see belongs to God. Man has not made anything. Man has not brought anything into existence. He's only taken what God has made and able to do things. But he's made everything. If we see this God, if we see him and we obey him, we give him his tithe and offerings, he will take care of us. God's people never, they're not out there on the street begging with a cup in their hand. I've never seen God's people begging, per se. God takes care of His people. God takes care of all of us. And I could give you a few examples. That's no other way you could explain except God did it. No other way how God worked it out. And I've said that before during the, really it's almost a deep recession there in Huntsville, Alabama. And there were no jobs I got laid off from Thiokol Chemical Corporation. They lost their contract with the government. I got laid off. And that was in July. And, of course, the feasts were coming up in uh, September. And I didn't have much second tithe at all. But this skeleton crew came into Huntsville from, from Seattle, Washington, the Boeing Company. 
an operation for the space program. And for some reason, they called me. I had no idea who they were. They just called me. They wanted me to come in for an interview. At that time, they had 16 people. They were hiring people, hiring people for procurement. And I never bought anything but a loaf of bread. I didn't know anything at all about it. So I was talking to this individual who was, a, who was an engineer, and he said, uh, you got to have a college education. I said, well, I don't have one. He said, well, you got to have one. I said, well, I don't. I have a year of college. I don't have a degree. Then he said, uh, two or three more minutes later, he said, I'm going to take a chance on you. And he hired me on the spot. Now, the feast was coming up in two months. The man had to be on the moon in 69. <laughs> and people had to work seven days a week. So I had to go to my boss and tell him that I needed some time off, 10 days. He said, well, it's impossible. What are you talking about? You just got hired. I said, well, you know, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck, but I'm trying. I need the job. I'm willing to work all I can. I can understand your dilemma. You know, I can understand that. You wanted me here for seven days a week, but uh, you didn't ask me anything, so I didn't say anything. And we talked, and he said, well, you can't take off. And, uh, well, I knew then I was going to be laid off. I fired because I knew I was. So I went back to the boss again and a week later and asked him, is there any way that I could be off? I hope you don't think I'm trying to get my way. And he said, uh, well, write it up, Bob. So I wrote up where I had to go. Then uh, he sent me to the general manager, the big boss. So we sat there in his office, and, you know, he put his hand behind his head like that, leaning back, feet on the chair. He, he was a mean-looking guy. And he told me, he said, Bob, I'd rather have you as any ten men out there. But I want you to go wherever you got to go, and you enjoy it. So you see, brethren, I shouted. I rejoiced. Why? Well, I knew God was God. And I know if God is for me, nobody can be against me. So I knew that. God had proven that to me. That I was His. And He would take care of me. And He would take care of the family. And that's why that you read in Psalms, when they talk about how God should be praised for what He's done, you know, and, and and understand where he's coming from. Then verse 6, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the eternal our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And sometimes, brethren, the voice corrects. Sometimes the voice hurts. It hurts. People don't like to be shown their sins or their problems. They're satisfied with them. But once God starts penetrating that mind to show this is a problem with you, this is the problem. You need to work on it. You need to overcome it. Then once we confess that to God... We confess that, begin to fill in the deeds of confessing that sin and getting it out. Just like we put the leaven out. You've got to get it out in order to be forgiven. You can't hold it in. We have to be specific. We have to name our sins one by one, not in general. We all do it, God. You know, we're all the sinners. We all do this. We all do that. Now, it's got to be specific. Name the sin one by one, as the Bible shows in the Scriptures, for God to help us to see it. It's hard to go before God and say, I'm filled with vanity. I'm filled with hate. I'm filled with this. 
I know it's not wrong to be jealous, but not use it the wrong way. I know it's not wrong to be angry, but not use it the wrong way. If I lose my temper, I've got to see it. If it's the wrong way, if I misuse it and abuse people, I've got to see that. I've got to confess that. God has to help me to see that. Or I can't overcome it. He's got to. Why? I belong to Him, and I certainly don't want my heart to be hardened. And uh, so verse 9 says, When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. Let's think about what all they did see in the land of Egypt. And they saw God's work, and yet they tested Him. Can God feed us? Why did you bring us out here to let us die? Why this? Why always accusing God? Did they ever learn anything from that feast that they just went through, that God brought them through, started them out of Egypt on the night to be much observed, then it completed the feast as they crossed the Red Sea, and they were all baptized into the, you know, at sea. For 40 years I was grieved with that generation, and said, it is people who go astray in their hearts. And they do, they do not know my ways, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Now, since I've been in the church, and I know some of you have, I've known people have gone back to the world, gave it up, didn't want it anymore, too hard, just too hard. Just go back to the world, and there's said they were willing to die, willing to pay for that penalty. At least they think they are. But that's what happens to all of us if we're not careful. That's why it takes power, confession, fill in the deeds of Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread as well. I've tried to search myself from the first day to to the day, each day, about a sin I can't see or something I can't see or something I fail to see or something I don't want to see. To keep the days of unleavened bread is to get it out. Get those things out so we can have peace, joy, happiness as time goes on. Now, if we all were taken to a place of protection for three and a half years, do you think we could live together for three and a half years? What will we talk about for three and a half years? Could we live together? Well, you know how hard it is, don't you, to work with people who have the same goals you have, same knowledge you have. You know how difficult it is. Why is it difficult? Why is that? We have the same goals on the way to the promised land, same God, same commandments, same statutes, and same judgments. Why is it difficult then to love your neighbor or to love God? With that old human nature, the way we were brought up, the way we were taught, our false gods. Very difficult to get rid of those, the false gods, the way we were brought up. Some of you were brought up as Catholics, some Baptists, some Pentecostal. Been brought up like that. And you talk, uh, take to, talk to a Pentecostal person, they've experienced the Holy Ghost. And you try to tell them, what it is, they don't believe you. They've experienced it. So I know I asked uh, this individual one time, they said, do you think I have the Holy Spirit, uh, Holy Ghost? I said, what do you think? She said, yes, I do. And I said, how do you know you do? And he said, I can give you a biblical example if you want it. She said, all right. I said, when people worship God, they fall on their face. They always fall on their face. 
24 elders, Abraham, you name it. And when people have a demon, it takes them back. So notice old Benny Hinn when he's up there. See if they don't all go back. Pow, you know, they go backward. You read that in the scriptures about the man who brought his son to Christ. He went back. It takes them back. And she didn't believe that, but I didn't try to convince her. She felt something. She had a feeling. She didn't have the truth. She had an emotion. Not the truth. She wouldn't accept the truth. The emotion felt good to her. And you hear people say, well, that's what I feel. Well, this is what I think. This is what God thinks. I've had people to come up to me and say, I need your opinion. I said, no, you don't need my opinion. Your opinion is as good as my opinion. You're talking about opinions, but truth is something else. And so they tested God. Worldwide Church of God tested God. They tested God. And see what happened. When people make wrong decisions and wrong choices, or they don't get what they want, or they try to take over Christ's job, they try to take his job from him, instead of being tested and see where we will act, then some people look at, rise up, well, I'm going to start a group. I wish you'd start a group, you know, I'd like to tend your couch. Yeah, where you sleep. I'd like, to, I'd like to. We only left a thousand people here to tend four. So God is grieved at people. But you see, the Protestant God never gets mad, never gets angry. All you have to do is get in his lap, pat him on the cheek, tell him how much you love him. Say, you know, I didn't mean it, God. And yet go back and do the same thing again. But God does whip us at times. He does hurt at times for our good. That is, if we desire it. If we desire that, to be more like God. To think like He thinks. And be like Him in every way that we can Notice uh, Psalms 96, verse 13. For he is coming, or he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. And that's how God will judge, by truth. Not by emotions, not by feelings, but by truth. Because truth is what keeps a person free. It's what keeps people free. So if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10. Paul here was saying to the church at Corinth, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to... To be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. We think about, Mr. Ames, I think, mentioned a little bit Sabbath about this. That three million people. How did they do that? How long did it take them to go through the sea? Did they go by fives, go by tens? They had to be organized. Did they panic? Could you move Charlotte the way they drive here? <laughs> Say to Washington, D.C. You have to have order, don't you? And that's why the church is so important that we have order that we have people who know what they're doing. There are different people here can handle different situations. First aid, ushering, parking, order. We learn to just obey in every aspect. 
But when you move that many people, how many people will God move to a place of protection? And how will they go? What will they do? You remember that old song, I looked over Jordan and what did I see? Band of angels coming after me, coming for to carry me home to the promised land. <laughs> Could that be? Could, is anything impossible with God? I've often thought if somebody just called me on the phone and say, Mr. League, it's time to go, go where? It's going to take a lot of faith. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. You will have to hear the voice of the Son of God. You have to have that truth, see, to follow the Son of God. They hear his voice and they follow me. So that's probably one thing. We, you know, when you hear a minister, usually you hear the voice of God. He's teaching God's way of life. He's helping people to see things they need to change and how they need to organize everything and fit into a pattern, to fit in a system. And not independently, but just fit. Where do I fit? Where did God put me? Where does God want me? He's my God. He's the God of this church. Where do I fit? Where does God want me? And that's what counts. If I fit where God fits, I'm happy. Where he wants me, I'm happy. But if I try to fit someplace I'm not needed or whatever, I'm miserable and everybody else is miserable. So God has called each one and placed that individual in his body where he fits the best, where he can contribute the most to an organization that moves in one direction. And that's forward. That's forward, always going forward. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Go forward. Forward. Never backward. Go forward. God has called us to go forward at all costs. And I think we are, we are doing that as well. So they all ate the same spiritual food, verse 3. All drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now Christ was not in them, as Paul was showing, but he is in the church. He's in us. He lives in us. We live by his faith. Walk by his truth. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Have you ever just asked yourself, maybe during this week, if I lusted after evil things? Have I lusted, desired something I shouldn't have? as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters, as were some of them. Am I an idolater? God, can you help me to see? What is it that I want more than you? What is it that I'm willing to compromise? Do I have an idol? I don't know. God has to show me. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And one day, 23,000 fell. See, God meant business there with Israel. They were his nation, but they were acting like the Egyptians. Then come out of Egypt. It's like some people will not come out of the world. They want one foot in the world one foot in the church. And they live a miserable life. God's way is a way of happiness and peace and joy that only God can give. The world cannot give that. And as we've heard in sermons that this Internet, all these things are on the Internet, 
Facebook, Google, whatever, all the gossip on the Internet by church members. Don't you think God's going to call people in account for that? Is God going to allow that to get people get by with that? Or will he call them in account for that? Will they be judged by that? But if we judge ourselves, we won't be judged. God has called us then to judge self. To see if there's any evil way. So, nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by, by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our learning, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Are we capable then of making the same mistakes they were? How do we know we're not? How do we know if we don't examine ourselves in the light of this? How do we know? We can't trust self. It has to be revealed. The knowledge and all. And as time gets closer to the end, brethren, we're going to have to be closer to God and understand He is our salvation. It is He who saves us. All the money in the world now by happiness. You see, the rich man loved God's commandments, but he also loved money. He kept God's commandments, but he loved his money. He wouldn't give his money up. That was more important than God was. Did he see it? No. I just can't give it up. Then he goes on and shows that no temptation has overtaken you except such as common man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. But unless we confess it, unless we talk about our weaknesses, unless we do certain things, God then makes us able to bear it if we confess the weaknesses and temptations and what we battle and the lust and thoughts that we battle and those things we battle. And we know we'll give in to it if we're not careful. So God makes a way, as Mr. Ames said last Sabbath. He thinks about the positive things. Philippians 4. He overcomes evil with good. See? The way you overcome evil is by good. Doing good. That's the way you overcome it. By doing good. Then he talks about, uh, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And uh, he just talks about us, verse 12, talks, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And you've heard Dr. Meredith talk about his weaknesses. You've heard Mr. Aim talk about his weaknesses. You've heard Mr. A- uh, Mr. Dr. Winnell talk about his weaknesses. We all have weaknesses. We all have certain weaknesses that we talk about and ask people to pray for us and understand that we need help. Not of this world, not of Satan, but from above, from God, where the revelation of knowledge comes from. About self, about the world, and about Satan. Then it takes faith on our part get rid of those sins to get rid of them you have to work to get rid of a sin god forgives us but we've got to get rid of it and that takes work to get rid of sin and understand so israel had the knowledge of going to the promised land but didn't make it just like us we have the knowledge of being born again and to inherit the earth and we have to ask ourselves, will we make it? We can through God's help. 
No, Christ was never of this world. He was never of it. He was never under anybody's rule but God. He was never under Satan's rule. He was never under his fleshly rule. He was never part of the world. He never sinned. Never sinned. He belonged to his Father. Not of the world. And we're coming out of the world. Our level best to come out. And seem like the older you get, the worse it is. You know, this is my 51st feast of unleavened bread, but I think I've understood it more this time. Those seven days than any other time. I really did begin to understand certain things, like I, you know, you just eat cracker or you do this, and whew, boy, wasn't that work getting all that stuff out? Oh, I tear my car up and, and just overlook it. Pa- you know, Passover. We're so busy getting rid of the leavening, working, that we overlook Passover. And finally, Passover comes. Well, what am I supposed to do? Well, wash, okay, wash feet. Why? Why? We're so happy to get rid of the leaven out of the house. It becomes a burden almost. And so God's way is restful. And we understand that we are to eat the unleavened bread of the Word of God, symbolically of the bread, Christ's body, that we take on the... We fill in those deeds. And we keep the leaven out. We don't. Once we get out, we keep it out. It's too hard to get out, isn't it? Once you get it out, you keep it out. Once you get a sin out, you keep it out. So God offers pardon to any sinner who will confess his sins and turn to him for help. Sin is a sense trying to find an alternative to God's character. See, an alternative to that character of God. That's what sin is. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah 23. Verse 23. Am I God near at hand, says the Eternal, and not a God afar off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places? Shall I not see him, says the Eternal? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Eternal? So when I think about sinning, if I think about it, I think, well, God's watching. You can't hide from God. He's watching. I mean, He fills heaven and earth. There's no secret place that God can't find. He understands that. So He's just a prayer away. All we have to do, brethren, when we are being tempted... And a lot of us are being tempted. Is ask God to give us the power to resist that temptation that you promised to make a way of escape for me. And I know it's going to take character on my part. It's going to take discipline on my part, and I'm willing to do it. I know it's not going to be easy on my part. So he's just a prayer away. To maintain closeness with God, a person must think. And act like God does. To be otherwise is missing the mark. God does not change what He is at all. Let's turn to Romans 13. Romans chapter 13. And verse 10. Love not love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law, and 
And to do this, knowing the time, now is high time to wake out of sleep. For now is our salvation is here than we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And that's what we do is put on Christ. And that way it kills the lust in the body, the thing the body lusts after. It kills it. It helps us, as Paul is saying, that we have to put to death sinful actions. We have to kill those actions. We have to put them to death once and for all, those actions. I used to smoke. Sometimes three packs of cigarettes a day. I thought I'd never quit. It ruled me. I mean, it, my wife even begged me to start back smoking. I was such a dog in the house. This anger all the time, just the flesh craving, craving. Finally, I knew if I ever took a cigarette, just took it between my fingers, I'd start back smoking. I never picked up one. And I had to battle that. It's the most difficult thing I've ever tried to overcome is that smoking. And I had to battle and battle and battle. And to this day, I have never smoked a cigarette. And that's 60 years ago. So the battle, I know if I ever take a draw, I'd go back to that. That lust would come back. So you avoid it. And that way you don't have to battle it anymore in those situations. Let's turn to Numbers chapter 5. Numbers chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. Numbers 5, verse 6 and 7. Speak to the children of Israel when a man or woman commits any sin that men commit in unfaithfulness against the eternal, and that person is guilty, he shall confess the sin which he has committed. He shall make restitution for his trespass in full, plus one-fifth of it, and give it to the one he has wronged. So he's talking about here, when a person commits a sin, he has to confess it. That sin that he's... If, if I fail to tithe, I have to confess that. If I fail to say the second tithe, I have to confess that to God. I failed that tithe. And I can make it up later probably, but do you trust yourself in those situations? Can other things come come up? That we have to confess our sins and name them one by one, whatever they are, whatever they may be. Numbers 32. If you look at Numbers 32... Numbers 32 and verse 20. And Moses said to them, If you do this thing, if you arm yourselves before the Eternal for the war, and all of your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterwards you may return and blame And be blameless before the Lord and before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you do not do, then you take note, you have sinned against the eternal, and be sure your sins will find you out. I remember this individual who committed adultery, and they lied about it for almost two years. First thing you know before the Passover, they confessed it. Finally, it had to come out. Finally, they had to live with that for two years. They confessed it, and they were free. 
from that lie and that sin. And they named it what they had done and how they had lied about it and lived the lie and understood that. So we have to be specific versus general when we confess sin because sin leaves its fingerprints. We have definite versus vague, concrete versus con, uh, de, uh, abstract. Many sins are deep habits, and we must search them out. David understood that sin drained his strength. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Lay aside every weight, every weight of sin. So you have to name it, you have to understand before you lay it aside. Every weight that weighs you down has to be laid aside. And that understanding then comes from God. We have to engage in a positive search for hidden sins and wrong attitudes. Can you recognize a wrong attitude in you? Or is the wrong attitude justified? Does God ever have a wrong attitude? Sin can harden the mind. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. In Psalms 32, verse 5, it says, Name our sins one by one. Now, when we do confess sin, it humbles the person and makes him realize how much he depends on God. It it humbles us. So we have to go to God trusting in His mercy to be determined to get rid of sin. For your mind is made up before God. Then God helps you to get rid of it. You have to make your mind up to get rid of something that's hindering you or causing problems. But it takes time. It takes time to overcome anger. You just don't overcome it overnight. You have to work on it. God forgives us, but we have to work on it until we get rid of it. So in Psalms 103, as we heard... Special music, <clears throat> Psalms 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. As far as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As the Father pities his children, so the Lord pitieth those who fear him. Those who acknowledge, see. Just like your kid would come up and say, Daddy, I did this. I was wrong. What do you do? You beat him up? No. See, God pities. If we're humble, He pities us. He understands that we're nothing but dirt. We need His help. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, His days are like grass, as flower of the field, so He flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And his place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to the children of children. In Lamentations chapter 3 talks about, um, you know, God's mercy is every day. His tender mercy is upon us every day as we ask him for mercy. So when we confess our sins, it purges and cleanses the conscience. It makes our conscience sharper. We're more aware of, of certain things when we are. You know, it's like when you're baptized. Your conscience is clear. The blood of Christ clears your conscience. You're more conscious of sin. You're more conscious of things than you were before. So when we confess, it cleans our conscience. Then we can be aware of certain things, more aware than before. Of those things. In First Timothy chapter four, First Timothy four, 
verses 1 and 2. Now the Spirit expresses, says that in the latter time some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, not able to understand the difference in error and truth. Their conscience is seared, hardened because of certain rebelliousness or whatever uh, would cause that in First John chapter 1. John is bringing out here, First John 1. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another as the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And that's the way it works, our true fellowship. We walk in the light and the blood of Christ and cleanses us from sins as we ask for it. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Have you ever just tried to sit down and name sin? It's hard, isn't it? It's difficult to just sit down and name sin, what it is in me, that I need to see, that I need to work on, so I can... The Bible tells me plainly, if I say I have no sin, I deceive myself. So if I confess it, then it cleanses the conscience. Then I can see clearly other things. And you can as well. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, the condition is confession. To God in private, because God knows what we are, and we're not telling Him anything He doesn't already know at all. He made us, He called us, He trusts us with His Word, and we're learning as time goes on. But we're in this Laodicean era, we're fighting, it's a battle, rich and increased with goods. I don't really need God, in essence. Why? Because uh, I've got everything I need. What else do I need? I have a car, television, internet. I have all of these things. What else do I need? Do I need correction? So this era that we're living in now, we depend on self, on self too much, and not enough on God, and understanding that all good gifts really come from God, and we understand that. <clears throat> so it also impresses on the mind when we confess our sins, the need to be on guard against sin in the future. Take heed lest you, you know, when you think you stand, take heed lest you, lest you fall. In Psalms 19, verse 12, notice Psalms 19. <clears throat> Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, assuming the responsibility is not yours. Let them not have dominion over me, David was praying. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Then let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. So here at headquarters, it's easy then to be presumptuous. Just be presumptuous. Claim something's not your responsibility at all. I try to pray God every day, don't let me be presumptuous. (laughs) Help me to stay in my place. 
be in my place, not presumptuous. I'm not the one making decisions. God will hold Dr. Meredith responsible for that, not me. But if I try to be presumptuous and take over or undermine or undercut, so David had to pray for that. We all need to pray about that. Even a woman in a house has to be careful about being presumptuous, taking over the husband's responsibility. That God has given it to him. They have to be careful. We all have that weakness, being presumptuous. And so it impresses on us then as we confess our sins to be on guard against sins in the future. It causes the person to discover other sins. We must look for sin such as being conniving. You know what conniving is? Hateful, vengeful, lustful, sneaky, deceitful. All those ugly things. As I mentioned, that God is only a prayer way. And this feast pictures to us that we have to search for hidden things that we probably hadn't thought about before. And we will counter a new set of problems this coming year until next Passover. Then a new set of problems next Passover. But if we search our hearts and minds, know what we are, know what we will do, not trusting self, but trust God's Word to help us and guide us, then God will take care of us. So let's keep the feast then, that right attitude all the time and all year, search our lives.